Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation as I have already written briefly. In reading this then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the life that's in your word. I thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit. I pray that you would rest upon each person here, that you would anoint our hearts, that you would anoint our ears, that you would help us to receive life today, because you alone have the words of eternal life. Through Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. This word, Messiah, uh, is actually an Anglicization of uh, the Hebrew word Mashiach. Um, and so the Jews were looking for Mashiach. They were looking for a Messiah. Um, when someone says Yahshua HaMashiach, they're talking about Jesus the Messiah. There's another word that is uh, uh, analogous to this word, means the same thing. And it's really uh, the essence of what Paul is talking about in this passage. Paul, the master of run-on sentences. Uh, but but they, also have, they also have power and, and grace and life in them. And, and that word would be the word Christ, which is an anglicization of the, of the, of the Greek word uh, Christos. And uh, so the Jews were looking for a Messiah. Nobody was looking for a Christ. Uh, both of the words, by the way, mean uh, anointed one uh, or the chosen one. The um, uh, popular culture has taken over that, that concept, that idea of a chosen one, anointed one, the, the chosen, and uh, applied it to a lot of uh, fictional characters, a lot of situations, sci-fi, you know, stuff like that. But by definition, there's only one. And there really is one, just one, and that is Jesus of Nazareth. Now, 
the incredible thing, I mean, this, this kind of, you know, we're so used to saying Jesus Christ. And by the way, we, Christ isn't his last name. It's his title. Uh, it's Jesus, the anointed one, the, the chosen one. But we're so used to saying that, that it escapes us how incredible that is. We sang uh, the line um, in one of the songs today, uh, uh, Jesus, the Messiah, the hope of all the world. How in the world did the Messiah that was being looked for by this tiny little parochial country, so narrow with so few people and so little influence and so little power, how did their Messiah become the hope of all the world? That's an incredible thing when you actually stop to think about it. And that's what Paul is saying is is the mystery here. Um, The Jews were looking for a Messiah. They weren't looking for a mystery. But God always brings mystery because he always comes, he always comes less than we expect and becomes more than we anticipated. When, when Elijah was running from uh, Jezebel because she was going to kill him, uh, he, he went to the cave at Horeb, at Mount Horeb, and God showed up. And there was a, an earthquake, but God wasn't in the earthquake. And there was a fire that roared through the mountain, and God wasn't in the fire. And there was a a, a fierce wind that blew through the mountains and shattered rocks. And God wasn't in the the wind. And and there was a still, small voice that began to whisper. And that was God. Tends to often come as less than we're anticipating. Uh, We were certainly not anticipating a baby in a manger. Certainly not anticipating someone from Galilee of all places. You know, I grew up in Millersville, and I think I mentioned this to you before. I mean, I can I can identify with Nathaniel when when he was told about Jesus uh, of Nazareth, the the Messiah. We found him, and he goes, "Can anything good come from Nazareth?" Because uh, you know, I came from Millersville, and nothing good can come from Millersville. So, what does that make me? That's a mystery. I don't know. Uh, so he he comes he comes in ways that we don't expect, but he also comes becomes much more than we were anticipating when he finally gets here. The Jews were looking for four things in their Messiah. They were looking for a king. Um, Psalm 2, 6, which is a a messianic psalm, was regarded by them as being a a prophecy about Messiah. It says, I am installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. So they were looking for a king. Daniel, in the seventh chapter of Daniel, he, uh, he has visions that show him all of the world's empires and all of the world's kingdoms, uh, and they're represented as really strange beasts, really, uh, really incredible beasts. But none of them end up, uh, end up being who the world is actually looking for. And then later in, in that chapter, the, the ancient of days comes and the, and the thrones of heaven are set up, and one is presented before him like a son of man, This is the Messiah, and it says of him, he was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom, (coughs) excuse me, is one that will never be destroyed. If you got a kingdom, you must be a king. And so they were looking looking for the son of David, because David was promised that he would have a son whose kingdom would be established forever and ever, and would never end. So... They're, they're, looking, they're looking for a king, but they were also, they were also looking for a prophet. And the, the reason why they were looking for a prophet is because Moses had told them uh, over in Deuteronomy 18, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, 
from your fellow Israelites, you must listen to him. And he goes on to say, everybody who doesn't listen to him will be cut off. And everybody who does listen to him will have life. So this is Messiah. They're looking for a king. They're looking for a prophet. And they're also looking for a warrior. <coughs> Excuse me. They're looking for a warrior in, uh, in that messianic psalm that we referenced, Psalm 2. Uh, in verse 9, it says, you will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. And it's talking about the nation's of the world. So their Messiah was going to be a warrior to, to do this. And then later on in that, uh, in, in Psalm 110 verse six, it says he will judge the nations, heaping up the dead and crushing the rulers of the whole earth. So they're looking for a warrior. They're looking for somebody to come along and, and, uh, and just sort it out on the battlefield. And then they're also finally looking for a priest. <coughs> That uh, same psalm, Psalm 110, says of Messiah, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So that's what they're looking for. Messiah was and is all of these things, but not in the limited way they were thinking and not to the limited group they were thinking. He was and is so much more, bigger See, the, the Jews were looking for Messiah to come and be their king and their prophet and their warrior and their, and their, their priest. They weren't expecting company. And so Paul comes along here and he says, this is the mystery. This is the mystery of the gospel. Uh, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body. Sharers together in the promise that's in Christ Jesus. Who are the Gentiles? Anybody who's not a Jew. Doesn't matter what your race is. Doesn't matter what country your family came from. It doesn't matter uh, anything, how smart you are or not smart you are or rich you are or how unrich you are. If you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. So that basically he's saying that this, is, this is the mystery. Messiah came and he belonged to everybody for crying out loud. Over in uh, Matthew 20, Jesus tells a parable of a guy who owned a vineyard. He needs some workers. So he goes out early in the morning, first thing in the morning, and apparently there's a place where a bunch of people who want to work come and go, we'd like to go work. So he hires a bunch of people, and they go work in his vineyard. And mid-morning, he goes, well, you know, I'm, I think I probably need some more. So he went back, and he, and, he, and he hired some people at that and sent them into the vineyard. And then at lunchtime, he said, I've got to have some more people. So he went and found the ones who were there at lunchtime and hired them and sent them into the vineyard. And then mid-afternoon, he said, I, I still need some people. So he went and hired some more people, and they, they went into the vineyard to work. And then one hour before closing, he says, man, we've got to get this done. So he goes out, and he, and he hires people one hour before closing. And then after the end of the day, he, he tells his, his paymaster, he says, okay, Start with the last group that came and pay them a day's wage. And the people who were hired earlier in the day, especially those who were hired really early in the day, were going, wow, they got a day's wage. Can you imagine what we're going to get? And you know what they got? A day's wage. And they were ticked off about this thing. They were going, what? What is this? This, is, this isn't right. This isn't fair. And, and I love what... Uh, I love what the owner of the vineyard says. He says, do, do, do I, don't I have the right to do what I want to in my money? Are you jealous because I'm generous? Yes. Yes, I am jealous because you're generous. I, I, we had to do all this stuff 
And we ended up getting the same thing that they got. Now understand that eternal life is eternal life, people. There's not like eternal life one and eternal life two and, and eternal life B minus. I mean, eternal life is eternal life, okay? That, that's the way it works in there. There's so many ways. I mean, you know, we, we tend to look at the Jews at times and go, wow, they were like that. They were people and we're people. And we reflect them in so, so many ways. Even as we try to reach the world for Christ, we want it to be on our terms. Yeah. We want it to be on our terms. I, I've mentioned a few times that uh, one of the, the, the things that people would debate back in the day when I was a kid, and maybe they still debate it now, I just don't debate it, you know, is, is uh, deathbed repentance. You know, somebody on their deathbed gives their life to Christ and Man, and so there's, they think that they're saved or something. That's, hey, if they're not saved, I'm not saved. Because they got there the same way that I got there. You know, but, but we, we, have a, we have a tendency to go, well, that's not fair, so they, they shouldn't get what, what we're getting, or they don't follow our formula, or they haven't adopted our, our, our culture, or whether it's, a, whether it's actually a, a literal culture or, or a theological culture. You know, whatever, we have a tendency to think that. And God turns out to be so much more than we expect. So, so much bigger than we expect or that we want him to be. We would like him to be a little more narrow, but he's not. Now, I want to kind of shift gears just a little bit. Actually, I'm, I'm not, but uh, it might look like we're going down a bunny trail. I want to ask the question, was Paul being humble? Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. Uh, And when I say, was Paul being humble, we would tend to say, was he just being humble? As if being humble were a false thing, which is totally the opposite. I mean, being humble is actually speaking the truth. And he's speaking the truth here. I'm the, I'm the least of all the saints. Well, why was Paul? I mean, Paul, he wrote all these run-on sentences, and he, and, he, and he wrote so many books in the New Testament. He was such a great missionary and things like that. Yeah, and he also imprisoned people because they believed in Jesus Christ. He broke up families because they believed in Jesus Christ, left kids parentless and and he murdered people because they belonged to Jesus Christ, because they believed in Jesus Christ, and he thought that was a good thing. That's pretty bad. And not only that, God, this is how God got Paul. I mean, you know, he didn't, he didn't send Billy Graham to him or something like that. No, he was riding on his donkey to Damascus, and a bright light knocked him on the ground, and Jesus Christ stood before him and started talking to him. Now, has that ever happened to any of y'all? It's never happened to me, and I hadn't murdered anybody. (laughs) What? (laughs) No, I quit reading Facebook. (laughs) So, probably everybody's safe. At least from me. God took extraordinary measures... In appearing to Paul, I mean, there were other overzealous, intelligent fanatics available that God could have appeared to and and done that for. That's how incredible God is. He took the least of all and assigned him the the job most would have despised. I mean, 
Everybody wanted to preach to the Jews. That's where the action was happening, man, you know. And he gave him the, the assignment of preaching to the Gentiles and allowed him to have the most bountiful harvest. And let me just say, that's not fair. It just flat out isn't fair. And I am so glad. It's not fair that their Messiah is also gets to be our Christ. That's not fair. They, they, they had to be in Egyptian bondage. They had, to, they had to go into Babylonian captivity. They had to wander in the wilderness. They had to go through all that stuff in order for Messiah to be produced. And we get him. What, what, what's fair about that? It's not fair that Jesus died for my sins. No, nothing, in, nothing in that story is fair at all. It's not fair that God loves his enemies. Please listen to this. I tell you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven, because that's how he is, that you may be like, like daddy. God loves his enemies, and this is, this is so good, I put it in bold type in my notes to be sure that I didn't forget it. God loves his enemies because he is love, and he is not defined by what others do, he's defined by who he is. I mean, let me, let me just say that again, because uh, 90% of our problems, 90% of the issues that we have as people, and I, and, you know, I just made that number up, but I, but I think it's probably pretty close. 90% of, of, of the issues that we have come about because we are letting what others do define who we are. And it shouldn't just be that you know what, you know, I am who I am regardless of what they do. No, that, that's, that's, a, that's a positive step, but that's not the step. The step is I'm not defined by what they do. I'm defined by who he is. I'm defined by what he has done in me and the, and the life that he's put in me. We want to respond to others based on what they do and not who God is. Forgive one another. As you have been forgiven. God is never referred to in Scripture as being fair. Yay! He's never referred to in Scripture as being fair. Look it up. Search for it. It's just not there. He's, he's not called fair. He's gracious. He's merciful. He's just. He is right. And he is more. It's always more than we expected. I, I want to go back and look at the Messiah thing again here real quick. They were looking for a king. And yes, they, they got a king. But th- this, this scripture is so crucial. It's so important. Jesus was before Pilate. And Pilate said to him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says, well, was that your own idea? Or did somebody else tell you about me? I mean, I think Jesus was kind of going, are you, are you on to something? Have, have you learned something? But no, he was just parroting what he had been told. And he said, I, it, was, it, was, it was the Jews. They're the ones who told me this. And so, but you are a king then, huh? And Jesus goes, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. Okay, I'm going to say this and, and let me get five minutes beyond it before you decide. Before you decide. <laughs> we are not called to change the world. Uh, once again, look, look for it in Scripture. Nowhere does it say we're salt and light in the world. But there's nowhere there that it says that we're called to change the world. 
couple of reasons for this. The world and its desires pass away. They're going to pass away. The person who does, only the person who does the will of God will abide forever. And Second Peter 3.10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. The earth and everything in it will be, uh, uh, and everything done in it will be laid bare. Yeah. We're not called to change this because this is coming to an end. And this is not his kingdom. His kingdom is not of this. I, I, I don't remember how many years ago this was now. <laughs> 35, 40 something. No, it wasn't 40. Somewhere between 35 and 40. That's pretty darn close for somebody guesstimating at my age. Uh, but we used to, at the Lord's Chapel, we'd have, we'd have these, uh, these services, these joint services, and a bunch of churches would come together and... One church would lead the worship, and one church would provide the speaker, and, uh, you know, one church would, I don't know, ushers or something, I don't know. Uh, and boy, for the first two or three months, it was magnificent. It was, I mean, it was just, it was, it was really good. I mean, God just showed up, and the presence of the Lord was just so full in that place. And then, uh, one, uh, one month, one of the, uh, one of the churches, whoever was speaking that Sunday decided that we were going to go down. Uh, we had all these people together. We had all this energy going. We're going to go down and clean up lower broad, which at the time was actually worse than it is now. Uh, and so, I mean, the next thing we knew we had, we were putting radio spots together and we were making signs and we we're doing all this stuff. And, uh, the services just were never good anymore. It was just kind of like, I, I, this is an illustration that I heard uh, a short while ago. Another person used, but I think it applies to this. And it's not a perfect illustration, but, but I, I like it a lot. Uh, he was talking about the house of God uh, or the temple of God. We, we are the temple of God. He says, the, the purpose of a house, the purpose of a, a building, a temple, is not to change the environment of things outside of it. The purpose is to create a different environment from the things outside of it. When it's 30 degrees outside and it's 68 in our house, we're not trying to make it 68 outside. What we're saying is, if you would like to be in 68 degree temperature rather than 30 degree temperature, get yourself in this house. When it's 110 in the shade outside and it's 72 in our house, we're not going to make it 72 out there. Get yourself in this house. This is where it's 72. His kingdom is not of this world. We're not caught, we get so, we get so caught up in trying to change the world and what it's doing that we forget that that's not our job. Our job is to live in the kingdom. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Want some of that? There's a place to come and get it. Yahshua HaMashiach. Jesus the Messiah. That's where it is. And, and, a, and a prophet. He not only was a, was a, was a king, but he also was a prophet. The, the one who bring, a prophet is one who brings the word of the Lord. And in John 12, 49, Jesus says this. For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. That's prophet. 
When, when the Sanhedrin sent troops to go and bring Jesus in for questioning and they came back without Jesus, they said, where is, where's, where's the Nazarene? And they replied, no man ever spoke the way this man speaks. A prophet and more than a prophet and a warrior. And we're looking for a warrior. And yeah, we got, uh, you know, we got, we got a warrior here. But more, let's not fall into the trap. That the, that the Jews fell into thinking that Rome was the great enemy, you know, and we and we fall into the trap of thinking, well, the uh, the, the enemy is the Muslims, or the enemy is uh, the atheist, or the enemy is uh, is uh, uh, the Democrats, or the enemy is the Republicans, or the enemy is uh, are the Catholics, so, you know, or maybe the enemy is the Protestants, and we even not even remembering that there's like 300 million Orthodox in the world, but because uh, they wear funny clothes, so that doesn't really count. They, you know, we, we've got these enemies going on out here, and we got it wrong. Jesus understood who the real enemy was. He knew the real enemy was, was the power of sin and death in the world. And he went after that one, and he conquered it. Over in, in Colossians, it tells us that he forgave us all of our sins. He canceled the charge that was against us by nailing it to the cross. And then it goes on to say that having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them by triumphing over them by the cross. Now, virtually all of you speak English, and you understand that that's in the past tense. He made a public spectacle of them. Not he's going to already. Yeah, there's going to be a rider on a white horse and, you know, and all that's going to happen. But the heavy lifting has already been done. You get right down to it. I mean, I, I could get into the idea of riding a, you know, riding a white horse and wiping out all my enemies and stuff like that. I'm not too excited about the idea of hanging on a cross. You know, but that's, that's where the battle was. That's where it was fought. He was, he's a warrior, yes, but so much more than what our idea of a warrior is. What it could possibly be. A high priest. Psalm 110, verse 4. The Jews were looking for him to be a priest because it says, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And this... You know, this had to be kind of confusing because if he's going to be a, a, a prophet, priest, and king, okay, prophet might not necessarily matter where he comes from. If he's going to be a king, though, and he comes from the line of David, that's Judah. If he's going to be a priest, that's, that's, that's the line of Aaron. That's, that's, that's Levi. I mean, how, you know, so you, you end up with the, 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 the Levi camp the doctrine and the Judah camp doctrine and the, uh, post-trib and pre-trib and all those things, and that's how they get going. He's more. He's something much bigger. I mean, read it again. The order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek was before Aaron. He was before Levi. He was before uh, Abraham. This is from Genesis chapter 14. He was before. He's more. And, and because, and not only that, he wasn't just going to be their high priest. Hebrews 4 tells us, therefore, since we have... A great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold firmly to the faith that we possess. We read it earlier. Through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Two verses later, the writer of Hebrews tells us, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy, find grace to help us in our time of need. 
while uh, we know about this part of the mystery, in fact, we know it so much, you know, yeah, the Jews and the Gentiles, one body, one, one, one Messiah, one Savior, that it just kind of blows by us. Let me just tell you, I, I don't think the mystery's done. I don't think it's over. I think he's more than we can imagine even now. I think he will do exceedingly abundantly any above anything that we can ask or think or even imagine. And we've been instructed to become to come before him boldly to the throne of grace. I mean, you know, when we come and not just here, I, I, I really appreciated what Kevin said because this is about Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, as well as Sunday. As we're going through life, you know, two things, expect this. Expect him to come less than you necessarily expect. He's not going to knock you off your donkey and appear to you in a bright light. Probably not. Maybe not. But he might whisper to you. He might come in a still, small voice. And as he says things and we become sensitive to it and we respond to it and he becomes more so much more than anything we could have ever thought he would do can this relationship be fixed oh yeah can this body be healed oh yeah can this problem be solved oh more than solved would you stand with me and with those who are going to pray with people if they would come forward You know, and not everybody is supposed to come down on Sunday morning. Uh, you know, not, ev- not, not everybody's supposed to. But there are needs in this room. There really are. And if, you, if you've got those needs, come. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Come.